Frank, I thought I told you not to try to implement your own identity services. Didn't we have an entire podcast where we literally talked about how not to do this and that you should just use GUIDs as authentication <laughs> metrics? I love that episode so much. We were just brainstorming uh, authentication methods for, ooh, is this episode nine of the Great Turnip Trilogy? That's nope. not a trilogy. <laughs> no, almost, almost, Frank. I, I, let me, I'll give you a quick turnip update here. Quick turnip update for the peeps um, on the pod. Um, I have officially, you know, I had to, I actually, before I went through all the shenanigans, going into the in-app purchases and going freemium, uh, I found that I needed to upgrade my in-app purchase plugin to a brand new version of the Android billing libraries. Now, traditionally, these libraries were shipped externally as interface libraries that you would bind to services. It was bananas. They're called Adel files. But now they have an official library. So I had to work with John Dick from the team. He created the he literally created the the bindings and did everything for me. And then wow. like two days later. Google release version 3.0. So I went through <laughs> all of that and it's a whole new API, but he made it beautiful. He asyncified the crap out of it. It's like absolutely stunning, but everything is different. They have this crazy new thing where you have to acknowledge the pur- the purchase and purchases can be made like at a store in some country. So they could buy it, but then you're supposed to like revalidate it within three days. I'm like, this is in-app purchases have gone crazy, but I'm at the point now. I was literally on a hike with Heather Jen. I said, I want to finish this app by Labor Day. Maybe <laughs> I'll get it done. We will see. Um, but anyways, that's the, that's the update. But no, no more turnip tracking, more more GUIDs. Less GUIDs? Less GUIDs, more identity. M- more GUIDs in my case. I was inspired by our episode, and I was like, my apps need more of these. I mean, we, I just... Why don't we have more random data throughout our apps? Yeah. Well, so you mentioned identity services, and I want to clarify a little bit. I think there is lowercase identity services where we're just talking about user accounts, basically. And then there's capitalized identity services, which is an ASP.NET technology. In my case, an ASP.NET core technology, because... I'm building a website, James. (laughs) I'm supposed to be a mobile developer, but I keep building websites. It's silly, but this is going back to I'm building a landing page for my app, uh, something we talked about. You know, time doesn't exist. It was probably 8,000 years ago or something about that. But we're talking about landing pages. I wanted to build a website. I wanted user accounts. And I decided I wanted to implement ASP.NET Core Identity Services Trademark Registered Microsoft Product 2020. Now, from my understanding, you just boot up Visual Studio. I've done this recently. You say, give me a new ASP.NET Core website. There's a checkbox that says, give me authentication, and then you're done. I mean, so three minutes into the podcast, you're done, and we're done. We're good. We're good here, Frank. It's a checkbox. It's a checkbox. Where were you a week ago, James? No. <laughs> yeah, it's even, um, even if you're on like a Linux or something, you can .NET new a uh, magical web app. I forget what the template name is, but there is a template in there that is just a full website that has like all that stuff kind of baked into it and ready to go. Uh, you're going to hate me for what I'm about to say. Um, my problem with it is it all uses entity framework. Mm-hmm. And I am an old school database person and I find identity framework confusing for my simple mind. I 
like to write my select statements and move on with my life. <laughs> okay. Well, and okay, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, identity or not identity serves, but um, uh, entity framework it it can sit up upon other things such as a SQL database or SQL server or other things. Uh, you're just you're just not a, a fan of a code first approach. You don't like the migration. I'm going to have Jeremy come over onto the podcast. <laughs> we should do a podcast because it's funny. Um, migrations is always the stumbling block hmm. with ORMs, uh, object relational mappers. So you know, I have my SQLite library, and one thing that I'm most proud of in it is it handles migrations for you. It's a code first app. So I don't think it's fair to say that I don't like a code first approach. Um, what I think in this case was I found Entity Framework a little bit too big and a little too confusing for me, and I wanted a simpler database layer that I did understand. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think that that's bad in any way, and, and it's it's your website, so you should be able to do that. And from my understanding, ASP.NET Core is relatively flexible. Now, I will say one approach I do like of ASP.NET uh, Core in general as a non-web developer is I, I, and I, I can get feedback on this from the listeners, but I sort of enjoy the prescriptive uh, approach that they have or the recommended built-in paths that they often have. I, you know, I look at most of what ASP.NET Core does and almost everything is interface-based and injected through their dependency service, which means you should be able to register anything and sort of do anything and swap pieces in and out. From, from my understanding, now I will say I am on the ASP.NET Core uh, documentation and under authentication, it is not, I'm going to, there's a lot of sections. One, two, yeah. three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, <clears throat> right. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 23, yep. 24. Oh, found it. 24. That's, that's authentication. I didn't even get to authorization. Is that even different? Correct. No, they are separate. Yep, they are separate concepts in ASP.NET you have to, Core. <laughs> you have to authenticate to authorize. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you can't authorize someone unless you know who they are. So, uh, I mean, we're joking, but we should actually maybe define these. So, authentication is proving who you are. Authorization is, are you allowed to access this resource? They are actually separate concepts and all that. So, when you were saying, is it relatively flexible? James, it's insanely flexible. It's madding, maddeningly <laughs> flexible. It's uh, annoyingly <laughs> flexible, I should say, actually, as a beginner, because you're supposed to read those 21 docs, I guess. You know the worst part of those docs? At the top, it's like three-minute read, and it's like 10,000 words and code samples. You're like, oh, yeah, three-minute read, huh, Microsoft? What kind of geniuses are you measuring over there? Yeah, so the identity part, you're correct. It isn't using an API with some user interface that the users log in. If we're going to simplify the three minute read, because it does say 17 minute read, but it, <laughs> okay. it, it, it usually <laughs> manages users, passwords, profile data, roles, claims, tokens, email, and more. Now you can handle that yourself, right? You can have a, a data store with user data, or you could use third party providers like Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Twitter, things like that. Now, what I'm reading here, Frank, and I'm curious because I know with .NET Core 3, they have obviously a built-in connectors for like Azure AD, but also this thing called Identity Server. And it's funny that we're talking about identity services that are built into ASP.NET Core 
But then there's identity server, which is an open ID connector, an OAuth2 provider on top of it. Now, if anyone is confused at this point, it's okay. <laughs> it don't worry because authentication is hard. We're going to get through this. We can do this. Now, I actually can't speak too intelligently on identity servers. I know of the technology. I know the goals they're trying to do. It's kind of the trick that um, GitHub and Facebook are doing when you're able to log into third-party services with those. But um, I don't think most people will run an identity server unless they're in a giant corporation. And in that case, I think giant corporations tend to use other things for identity. So what I'm thinking about for my thing is more of a public style app interface where I want uh, basic user accounts on my own site and maybe in the future allow logins from GitHub and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So I've been making database-backed websites since the 90s. I've been making user account systems since the 90s. You know, you can definitely roll your own. It's easy to set a cookie. And it's easy to make a million mistakes <laughs> with a user account system. So it's, it's a little frustrating by me because I constantly am um, debating between, do I really just do it myself and ignore all the authentication and authorization stuff in ASP.NET? In fact, I believe that's the approach Stack Overflow took when they were very first writing their system. Um, there were older versions of these services that we have today available. And they're like, no, we're just going to roll our own. Well, the thing is, there's a lot of good advantages to working with the identity services system built into ASP.NET. And a lot of that is just, it's debugged code. You know, James, like you fill in some interfaces and bingo presto, it should just work. And that's kind of nice. Someone else wrote it. Yeah, I've always been a very big fan of the attributes that they have. Um, not only when you sort of, you know, scaffold your application out, it'll give you all, it'll basically give you, not, not basically, it will give you a registration, login, logout, registration confirmation. I think it can even do emails. It can do two, you know, it can do anything. Um, but what I like on it is that users can have, um, can have roles. So like admin roles. But additionally, often on pages or on APIs, you need to, um, you can mark those with like allow anonymous or have to be authenticated. And then additionally, there's built-in helpers that enable you to get data about who that user is. So you can say, is this user an admin, a specific role um, that, that comes into the system? And you just add an attribute like authorize and guess what? They got to be authorized to do it, right? It's not like you're, you're not writing any magical, you know, in a mobile app, you're like, okay, well, if they logged in and they're an admin, then like, this is here, like the screen's in the app. So like someone could maybe get to it and they got to get the data from the server and you got to do multiple things. Like, no, like this authorize and, and you're done, right? So there's some nice yeah. things there uh, from, a, from at least what I've used of it. I'm sure there's more that we could talk about. No, 100%. So when I think back to 100% rolling my own kind of account system, you lose out on all that ASP.NET integration. And when you're losing out on that kind of integration, your stuff, it's like, why are you using a framework at all? Like, mm. use the framework or don't use the framework. And I tend to think, as much as I love reinventing the wheel, and everyone knows how much I love it, um, I try to use the framework as much as I can. And yeah, those authorized attributes are amazing. You just throw them on a part of the website and ASP.NET takes care of the rest, making sure that 
uh, people will bounce off to a different URL, you know, to do a login and then it'll bounce back to the page. You know, it's, it's not hard to write that stuff, but it's taken care of for you. But in order to, oh, and I should say, uh, you were mentioning um, just tagging on like extra information. There's this user object or property in almost all contexts in ASP.NET. So if you write a, a controller, you have one there. If you write a view, there's one there. If you write a Razor page, you have one there. I'm curious if Blazor has one, a user object. It does. But I'm pretty it does. sure. Yeah. yeah, cool. It's probably the same user object. And what's neat is when you're logging people in, you can add what they call claims to this object, which is just data, but you can kind of query on the data, you can assert it. And that gets into the kind of authorization stuff that we were talking about. But it's also just a nice little data store to, to just dump a bunch of data that you want to keep around with the logged in user. So if it has all these nice things, in fact, you know, the entity data types that are in, you get user tokens, user login, role claims, user roles, you get a user, right? Like you're saying, you just didn't want any of it. You're just like, oh, no, thank you. Thank you, Microsoft. But no, thanks. I don't want no, your that's... data. I don't want your data <laughs> types. I'll, I'll, I'll get my own user. You think you know what a user is, Microsoft? I'm Frank Krueger. Let me show you how it's done. Is that what happened? Exactly. You, you've known me for too long. That was exactly the narrative going on in my head. You don't know me. I'll uh, do what I want. You don't I'll control do me, I'll... Microsoft. <laughs> well, okay. Well, okay. So there's no free lunch in anything. Mm. And all those cool features you were talking about, like two-factor authentication and emails and GitHubs and all that stuff that comes with a heavy database load, uh, password resets, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know how many tables uh, the entity framework wants to create for all this stuff, but somewhere between five to 10, it's a lot of tables. It's a good amount of data and you got to manage that stuff and deal with it and deal with it within that context. So it wasn't so much that you know, uh, I wanted all this identity stuff for sure, <laughs> but I didn't need it all in the beginning. I didn't need the two-factor stuff. I didn't need the external sources. And I like to keep my code as small as possible. It's the only way I can manage things. And that's why I wanted to implement my data. I, I'm my own data layer, I should say. And plus, all those docu documents kept saying, it's no problem, man. You can implement your own data layer for this stuff. It's easy peasy. We have uh, inversion of control. We have services and things like that. So it should totally be easy. They, they filled me with confidence. I would, I would imagine. I'm looking here. It looks relatively straightforward. I don't know where you stumbled or what issues you ran into, Frank, but literally <laughs> you should just be able to bingo bang. I mean, did you not, did, did you, so what happened? You went through the docs. I'm assuming this wasn't documented or was it documented on how to do this? There are some documents on this, but they tend to take a few shortcuts in the examples that don't quite work out in production when you're actually trying to implement it and things like that. So it's one of those things where it's documented, but there are a lot of little gotchas along the way. Plus, you know me, I didn't start with docs. <laughs> Who starts with the docs? You start with IntelliSense, James. You you type authenticate and you see what comes up. <laughs> True. You scroll through the list. And like, ooh, I like that name. That sounds interesting. I wonder what that can do. That's how you code. <laughs> well, you know, when we think about it, you know, creating a user store 
doesn't seem too complicated, right? Because it's it's just whatever data you want. And it could be as easy as your username, email, password, right? And of course, you're going to salt that puppy or you're going to hash it out. You're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to encrypt that thing um, across the wire. But ideally, it, it, at that point, it sort of becomes cruddish operations, I guess, to your data store, I would I'd yeah. imagine. Yeah, 100%. So uh, the way this goes is you actually are required to define a user type. No big deal. Just any old object. They're actually, um, it's used as a generic parameter to a lot of functions, but there aren't any constraints on it. So it really can just be whatever you want it to be. So the big thing that you have to implement is the data store for that object so that the identity service can you know, look up an email, look up their name, check their password, all that kind of stuff. It's exactly what you would think, like you were saying, the CRUD operations. It really maps nicely to that. So those are the two things that the docs say you have to provide. The user object and the, I think it's called iUser Data Store, but I don't have the docs in front of me right now, and I've already forgotten. (laughs) Okay, so... What do you do? You type in uh, public class my data store colon iuser data store, and the nice little Roslyn thinger implements a whole bunch of functions that throw not implemented. And you're like, great, got my identity system, no problem here. You uh, yeah, you go and you register that puppy. Uh, if you, there's like a service registration that you do in the beginning of all ASP.NET apps, mm-hmm. and you say for iUser data store of my cool app user object, instantiate this class. How much easier can it get? So you do that and you run it and you get 20 some odd errors. <laughs> I, I, I do see this. Yes, there is, um, there is in fact, uh, there, this is how things are layered, by the way. So you have your ASP.NET Core application on top. I'm looking at documentation with boxes and that's how you know it's good. Uh, colored. <laughs> Uh, so this is a blue box, Good. ASP.NET Core <laughs> app. Now, the identity manager that's built in AS, ASP.NET, that's your user manager, role manager. Now, the the bits and pieces you need to implement are the identity store, data access layer, and then it is going to connect to the data store. And, and it's correct. You do need a bunch of stuff. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing here that you need to implement uh, not that many. You're right. Not that many. I... Uh, I'm looking at the documentation. I believe it is just the user store. Maybe a role, role, role types, perhaps. Nope, don't even nope. need that. Oh my goodness! Wow. The problem is when it tries to instantiate your object, it's going to find a whole bunch of I something or others out yeah. there, most of which are generic on your user type, uh-huh. and it's not going to find them. Because oh, you mean exist. you mean the optional interfaces such as I user role store, I user claim store, I user password store, I user security stamps, or I user emails, or I user phone numbers, or I queryable users, or I user login store, I user two factor store, I user lockout store. Are those the ones you're talking about, Frank? You know, those actually Whew. do sound optional to me, but there's a lot of those that you didn't list that aren't in fact optional that you really do need to implement. <laughs> So can you imagine what I did? I just started implementing them all. And there I were like tons. It. I like there were it. Just tons. I, I can't remember the number. and But not those optional ones. I didn't do any of that two-factor stuff or anything. I'm just trying to get the database layer to work. And it was something like, I'm going to go with 10 to 15. I don't remember, but it was a lot of these things. Yeah. And it huh. still wouldn't work. Oh, no. I, yeah. 
Because I would get up to this point where, A, I don't know how to implement half of these things. I don't know what the heck they're supposed to be doing. And I'm losing all the advantages of, you know, where this code that's supposed to be pre-written for me. What I didn't realize, James, <laughs> is that in the service registration, there is a magical something like services.addidentity, pass it, your user object. And you know what it does? It registers a whole bunch of classes for you. So you don't have to. You know how I've discovered that? Randomly. <laughs> Lucky. I think I might have copy and pasted some code off of uh, Stack Overflow. I really don't remember how. But when I found that function, boy, did I feel stupid. <laughs> yes, there is the magical app.add authentication, app.add authorization. And those are things that do quite amazing things. You know what else does amazing things? Our good friends over at Raygun. Wow, what a transition. Nice. Listen, Raygun helps thousands of customer-centric software teams detect, diagnose, and resolve performance issues faster and more efficiently. Are you creating your own user authentication store and database backend, just like our good friend Frank? Listen, you may have issues. You may not. It might be perfect the first time. But listen, now is the time to plug Raygun into your application. And for a limited time, if you switch your application monitoring to Raygun, maybe you got one out there, boom, they'll give you up to $20,000 in free usage credit. That's amazing. It's never been a better time to make the switch, save thousands, and empower your team with the visibility and insights they need to deliver flawless, flawless customer experiences. Go to raygun.com slash switch to apply for the $20,000 in free credit. That's raygun.com slash twitch. Uh, nope, not twitch. Raygun.com slash switch. Terms and conditions apply. I'm just going to say that just because I'm assuming they do. They always apply. There's always terms and conditions. I should say that like every every sponsor. Terms and conditions. Not, not, not or and terms and conditions and if there's no conditions then there's there's somewhere on there you gotta find them are you sleepy james how are you doing oh, buddy i'm so tired i walked i walked <laughs> 20 i walked 10 miles today up a big mountain so that's awesome um, absolutely fantastic well I'll, I'll make my story short for you no. so you don't fall asleep on me here we're we're only halfway <laughs> in thanks to reagan again for sponsoring this week's pod all right frank thanks reagan so, so Hopefully, people are enjoying this episode so far because I am. I am highly enjoying this episode. Mm -hmm. Now, because, you know, Frank, I am on. Now, what I like here is you are right that there there are documentation. And I'm looking at the docs right now and it tells you all the stuff you got to do. And um, yeah, I think the problem here is, of course, if you've already clicked the checkboxes, you know, and, and checked them, it's going to add all that stuff for you. So you're like, oh, I have all this great stuff. And then, boom, um, this makes sense. Yeah, what I probably should have done, and I've, I should actually say, this is my third attempt at implementing identity services. I don't want to sound like I'm that bad of a programmer, but sometimes I am, or just that bad at reading the documentation. But I'm kind of doing this episode because I'm so proud of myself for finally getting this thing going. Um, it ended up not being too bad. So I think it's one of those things, it's once you have the knowledge, it's okay. And I should have also gone back to the Entity Framework templates and compared my code to theirs because obviously it was going to just be this one function that I'm just missing because why would they make you in implement 20 different interfaces that make absolutely no sense? I should have, and I did know, like, this can't be right. 
like who would design an API to work this way? This is ridiculous. But at the same time, I didn't know what else to do. I was really back to like the new programmer position where we like, this feels wrong, but I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Just keep going until it works. Usually that's, just, <laughs> I mean, usually it's like, well, just I needs that. I, what did I, was I, I was doing something one time and it was the same thing. Like I just kept adding, you know, it wasn't like if conditions, but it was like initialization methods. Like I'll just keep adding that. Like add that dependency, add that dependency, <laughs> you, you know, like when you're registering your services and you're like, oh, I forgot one. Oh, it's, it's I think it's usually when I release a, uh, oh, you know what it is? Like when I was doing the linker, like the linker gets really complicated. Like, and just keep that DLL, keep that, just maybe keep that DLL. Like just yeah. keep, add and add, forget that one, skip that one. It's okay. Just keep doing. And then sometimes you can get around it by initializing it. Like you'll be like, okay, var I equals type of whatever right and then and maybe type of this renderer type of that renderer how about this Uh. renderer someone please (laughs) please link or keep it keep it forever (laughs) you're making me squirm a little bit please use the preserve attribute everyone just declare an attribute called preserve and use that (laughs) don't do whatever james is suggesting there (laughs) um yeah i i get you though especially with uh, the linker. I always start out with every class and then just delete them and delete until it stops working or something like that. So that's definitely the approach I was taking here, which uh, is funny because once I implemented that function, that's literally the approach I would take because I just started deleting those 15 classes like one by one. Oh, still working. Delete that one. Still working. Delete that one. You know, it's really back to the beginning. So just to uh, give people some closure, if you ever do find yourself in this position, uh, the I was wrong about the user store. The one I ended up implementing is called iUserPasswordStore. It's oh. a lovely name. It's I descriptive. I believe it uses passwords for user. <laughs> the the uh... implication is there. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Very descri- <laughs> it's one thing I like about C Sharp. Very descriptive names. I approve. Right, yeah. Um, and then you also are required to implement uh, some version of a sign-in manager. Mm. The good news there is you really don't have to do anything. You can There's a base class already. It's not an interface. So you can either use the base class or implement your own. So very little work to do there. Isn't that ironic? You implement those two things and all of a sudden you have most, if not all, the power of identity services minus all those throw not implemented exceptions that I still have in my code for all the features I don't quite support just yet. Someday. Yeah. One day. Well, and the thing is, if you don't need them, then that that's also yeah. okay too, right? That's one of the one things you were thinking about is like, hey, I, ha- I, I like my databases. I'll do my own database. And also, I may not, I may not need all of this stuff. Which yeah, like... Two-factor authentication, I know it's becoming a norm, but do I really have to have two-factor authentication? Like Websites are becoming so complicated these days. The expectation level is so high. We used to just store plain text passwords in a text file. It was fine. <laughs> People only broke into it once in a while. <laughs> Don't don't do that, please, please. Okay, don't, sorry, don't, I'm giving don't bad do advice. That. Don't worry, people's passwords were terrible back then. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. Yeah, I, I I will say that too. I mean, passwords are very outdated, anyways. You know, the one that I they are. In, enjoy the most of passwords is I have my Microsoft account set up that it, it will just send a notification to my phone, and I can just 
thumbprint in, you know, and just authenticate nice. that way. So I don't even have to type anything. It'll say to send notification and I have my phone, which is right here. And I just tap it and it's like, cool, you're in. I like that because what I found is I was doing demos a lot and I was using uh, my Microsoft account to log in on different demos because, you know, oh, yeah. you could do that. And I on, on Android, the the browser would would hide, you know, hide it by default. But if I was reflecting iOS, the iOS default <laughs> text box does not hide. Yeah. It'll eventually hide it. It'll, but it'll it shows, show it. Yeah, it shows each letter. That's and then funny. here's then here's what happened is that I would always try to hide it. But then I was doing a recording. I was doing a recording inside of Channel 9. And I'm like, oh, okay, like, you know, we'll cut this out or we'll hide it behind, you know, not a big deal. And then I'm like, everybody, every single producer back there just saw me type my password. You know, because no one can see, because I'm not presenting to anybody, but I'm like, oh, they'll just edit this out. And then I was like, mm -hmm. and I type it in, I'm like, password one, two, three. And I was like, oh my goodness, like everybody now knows. So I was like, I need to I figure this out. So that's cool because it's almost like a form of two-factor authentication because two-factor auth is like, hey, enter your password and then go to your phone and and press a button. And this one's like, hey just press the button. Cause like, <laughs> what's the difference? What's literally the difference there? No difference. So, yeah, I, I love crazy login accounts. Uh, Marco Arment ding. ding. He has a wonderful idea of login systems where every time you want to log in, it sends you an email and you have to click a link, no passwords. That's good. So yeah, prove your authentic off identity with email yep. and kind of love it <laughs> we i use, hate email but i kind of love the idea we that one's genius we use a um i've been testing out this this streaming for like shows Streamyard, and we have a few producers and it's the same thing where it just sends you an email that's really convenient because then you don't need to go and pass around the, the password to everybody you can just put everybody on a distribution group and you're like okay cool like anybody can log in because everybody gets the six digit <laughs> code it, it, that means it's actually way less secure by the way but <laughs> yeah don't don't leak that or well don't register that email i guess would yeah. be the trick there correct but also fine and i think that's cool I, you know i was using that for micro my micro blog because um uh, that also uses the same system that that marco did to you go and you enter your email address and sure enough bingo bango it, it does the same thing, which is funny. Oh, Manton interesting. Reese. Yeah, um, definitely from the same community. I wonder who the originator was. Ooh, neat. <laughs> we, should, we should ask. We should get we should get them on the pod. You can make but that happen, point, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can, James. I have okay. faith. Perfect. Uh, you, you have a good point, though. Passwords are old. And definitely, even when I was doing this, I was thinking, well, maybe I'll only allow GitHub logins, you know, or something like that. And there, there is a good side to that. But password systems are relatively easy to implement. I think it's kind of a web standard to allow them. I don't like sites that force you into using third-party ones. Mm -hmm. And I think that the password culture has improved drastically since the 90s. I don't know about you, but I don't know any of my passwords. They're all random numbers stored in some random number stored <laughs> encrypted thing. Who knows? Uh, so I don't feel too bad these days actually asking people to create user accounts in that regard. That's, this is a website, not an app. When we were talking about your app and the GUIDs and the amazing mm -hmm. system we came up with there, that was totally different. This is, I want 
a 1990s style website here. You know, this is what I'm building. I want user accounts. The the problem, you know, the problem with third party OAuth providers is that like on the positive side, like you said, it makes it easier for people that are already logged into a service to log in. The problem with them is that not everybody has that thing. So you can't just pick one. You can't just be like, oh, let me get Twitter, right? Um, because not everybody has Twitter. And then what are they going to sign up for a Twitter account? And then they they sign up for another account or they just decide not to use your app. There is a, a default of at least always having username, password. In fact, I prefer that. I'm a big fan. I used to be, let me just log in with Twitter or Google with everything, you know? And then you get to the website and you, and you, you know, two, two years later and you're like, oh man, which one did I sign in with? Yeah. Right. And they've added five, 15 more. Now there's like, you know, you're like, uh, maybe it was my Pinterest account. Maybe it was my, my, you know, I don't know this other account. And, and then, and then it's almost confusing to the end user. So I'll always do username and password. Although, I mean, of course, then they have my passwords. I'm assuming they're, they're salting and hashing and they're doing the right things and encrypting my password. I hope. I don't know. You can't yeah. win. Nothing is good, Frank. <laughs> Everything is terrible. Yeah, that's why you use a different password on every site. And that's for your bank, hopefully have a good bank <laughs> for something like that. But it's funny when you're when you're talking about those third party ones. To this day, I don't know how to log into Stack Overflow into my account. Sometimes I go onto a computer and it's like log in and I click a button and then I click another button. and It's like, hey, you're logged in. I'm like, great. I have no idea how I did that because when Stack Overflow started, they were using OpenID was their suggested OpenID provider, yeah. and they've since gone under. They don't exist anymore. So the way I access Stack Overflow doesn't exist, <laughs> which is a conundrum because somehow I'm still able to log in. So I must have at some point assigned some other identity provider to help me log in. How did I log in with Stack Overflow? I'm, I'm trying exactly, right now. Exactly, because... They didn't want to create user accounts. And to this day, I'm just like, you should have just created user accounts. I mean, they have user accounts. They just don't have user authentication. Maybe today they do, but definitely I, in the beginning, they did not. I don't I don't think I can get in. See? <laughs> user accounts are good. The, the one thing I noticed is browsers are really aggressive about saving usernames oh, yeah. and passwords. Because when I'm trying to like debug this code, Safari's constantly, do you want me to save this? Do you want me to save this? I'm like, stop bothering me. I'm trying to debug code here. And it's just being so aggressive about saving it. It's, it's very true. In fact, um, I, I use... I have multiple password, you know, saving techniques. I have both Chrome and Edge. So like they both double back up. So as soon as I create one user account, I go to the other browser, log in, saves, and now it's saved in two browsers. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It, then then it's uh, bad when you change your password and you're like, which did you update <laughs> that browser? Like, oh no, here we go. That's fun. That's why I'm stuck in the Apple ecosystem. Weren't they smart? You know what? I just can't get out. You know what? I you know, it's very true. In fact, who bought iCloud, iCloud keychain? Yeah, who who just gave Apple stupid money for extended iCloud usage? This guy. Who's got 200 gigs of iCloud for no reason? Oh, look Me. at you donating oh. to the empire. <laughs> Family plan. Oh, you know, you could do the you can do the 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 99 cent one, right? That's the the one that they want uh, you to do. Like the, it's like oh, the it? it's like the 500 gig 500 megs or whatever. But then you might also get the 200 gigs and it's family plan. And then you get, right. and boom, everybody gets it. Family plans, family plans are like family user accounts. I'm going to turn this back randomly. They're like, <laughs> they're like, they're like, right, right. Anybody can be in your family. 
You know what I mean? And you could be in my family, Frank, and you can have access to my Apple News Plus. I got four four months free. You know what I they mean? They don't like uh, make you prove your relationship. Like if you were getting married in the U.S., you have to prove your relationship no, to immigration. Only <laughs> Amazon does for Prime now. You have to Do both <laughs> both accounts have to. It's tricky. Amazon, uh, at least the last time I did, you both have to have the same address registered, and then the primary. Oh. The pri- this this is where they get you right. They're like that. That's easy. Anyone can enter the addresses as it, but then the primary um, head of the household, their credit card like needs to be like anybody else can use it, <laughs> like in the house. So right. like if Heather wanted to, so you're like you're not. I'm not adding you onto my Amazon Prime. Oh, I want access to that credit card though. I'm definitely I'm liking not. this. <laughs> definitely not. I, I mean, I don't know if they do that still now, but that was definitely. Uh, we had gotten so sidetracked, Frank. Okay, so okay, I, I you, can bring it back because okay. you had mentioned um, <laughs> salting and hashing passwords, Salt and I just want to say, yeah, um, the the nice thing about identity services is that's kind of baked into it. Hmm. So you're you're never storing plain text passwords or anything like that. It's very, it doesn't really even ever give you access to the plain text password, as far as I can tell. Oh no, you have to pass it in when you're doing like your login form or something like that, but. After that, it's all hashed. Um, and it's kind of cool. That That's why I wanted it. I didn't want to write that kind of security code myself. I wanted Microsoft to write it and test it and all that kind of stuff. Um, pretty happy with it, I guess, is what I'm saying, James. Um, it's nice. It's nice that someone else thinks about security, so I don't have to. That's very true. In fact, you know, for a long time, any of the demos that I did we're all just logging with Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything right. You know, I was just give me a user ID token and I'm done. Cause they're just sample projects. But when you need to do something real, you need to think about these things. You need to think about where am I storing my data? What additional providers am I going to be bringing? Do I want to factor auth or, you know, maybe I don't need it now, but can I extend it? So maybe in the future it, it works out of the box. So it's definitely one thing to, um, just sort of think about then, hey, it's more than a checkbox. There are some other implications here that I may need to may need to think about um, when you're yeah. writing that code. And there are some funny defaults, like um, one of those 15 to 20 classes I was talking about in the beginning that I was implementing in IOC container world services world run into these interfaces that do one thing. They have one function on them. So it's basically a function. You're registering a global function out there. And there's a funny one called normalize user identifiers. And Microsoft's default normalization is to put everything into uppercase. (laughs) There are reasons they do this. I've been through the security lectures. Mostly it's the Turkish language that's at fault here. With the the way uh, you put the uh, darn, I've forgotten. It's it's the letter I though, um, with a little uh, kind of apostrophe thing instead of a dot. The way you uppercase and lowercase that thing is tricky, oh. <laughs> especially if you're not aware of how that culture works and how that language works. And so Microsoft always recommends uppercasing, but. I'm an internet person. I prefer lowercase. So it's funny. Uh, you can just uh, implement that interface yourself. I forget what it's called, but something like I identifier normalization or something like that. And I call lower, you know, to lower invariant instead of to upper invariant. So that way I can get my database to look exactly how I want it to look. 
And I'm very sorry, everyone in Turkey. Please just don't use usernames with that I in them. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. I think that's the only letter that, honestly, it, it breaks with. <laughs> so why didn't you just use the recommend path, Frank? You needed I hate to, you uppercase. Need... Uppercase is shouting. It's bad internet culture to use uppercase. Microsoft should know this. <laughs> Oh my god! I guess you could replace that I with something else. Well, the truth is because I was putting it in URLs also, and so I just wanted the URLs to just look nice. So you're happy. It sounds like you're happy, Frank. You I got am it all again. because okay. because it did end up being a minimal amount of code. That's what mm-hmm. finally made me happy about it. If it was left with those, 50, if I was left with those fifteen hundred twenty classes. I would have felt terrible. Like, mm. what is this service? It's not doing anything for me. But as it is, I only implemented maybe five of the functions. The rest still imp- throw not implemented. And the whole thing works great. It's really nice authentication with authorization, with roles, all that kind of crazy stuff just by implementing a data store. It's I nice. Like it. This sounds like a good blog post. Yeah, I probably should write all this down. <laughs> Just so you don't forget for next time. Yeah, I actually, during all of this, I kept thinking, like, I should clone this project right now, put it up as a GitHub so I can use it as a template from then on. Because it it was like in a nice state with like a very simple database layer, a very simple user authentication system. You know, it's just a good starting point for most kind of web apps. I like that. What's your database? Uh, Postgres. Postgres. Yeah. You know that one? I know I've heard of it, but uh, it's, it's kind of like right? the yeah, it's definitely a sequel. Yep, it's kind of a, a very sequel sequel. Like they tried really hard to implement the actual sequel standard, and it's just a just a small database. I'm mostly just using it for user accounts, but I wanted something simple and manageable. I'm running it all under Docker, so it really kind of doesn't matter. I should be able to switch out the database layer easily. And then finally, for those who I know will ask for an ORM, I'm actually using Dapper, which is the ORM that Stack Overflow uses, which I find to be very pleasant to use. D-A-P-P-E-R. D-A-P-P-E-R. Yep. That's uh, it's it's um, less sophisticated than SQLite-Net, <laughs> but it, it gets the job done. Very cool. Well, it's very uh, fascinating. Yeah, it is. It, it literally says a simple object mapper for .NET. That's cool. Um, in general, it sounds like you went the Stack Overflow approach here, Frank. Really, at the end of the day, you're just like inspired, and you're like, "Here we go." Well, you have to. The Stack Overflow approach is simplicity, and that is something I will always get in line with. Uh, they don't. They don't like to over-engineer things, and I really appreciate that. Plus, and they're also, very open and talk about the stuff. <laughs> and also, there's a NuGet package called Dapper Rainbow, and that's cool. Oh. I should check that out. I have no idea what that is. It's a trivial micro ORM implemented on Dapper provides the cred helpers. That's what it says. Oh, neat. Okay. So it's adding a few a few more helpers. Yeah. Because uh, the way Dapper works is it's, it's not actually an object relational mapper too much. It can only do basic value types. You're writing SQL the entire time. You're not writing link. You're writing text. <laughs> Got it. And that is what Frank likes for some reason i don't it's like the 90s man it just feels good select star user especially that password send that down into json clear text just kidding everyone don't do any of that stuff frank's over there hacking the planet no one's (laughs) gonna trash planet no one's gonna trash his rights oh my goodness Uh, 
I'm all it feels good, you know, like this is something I don't want to have a hard time maintaining. That's why I'm really pressuring myself simple code, simple code that I understand. Like there's no magic happening here except for a little bit of inversion of control. Okay, I'm done trying to justify my terrible decisions. <laughs> I think you're great, Frank. I love everything that you're doing, and so do our listeners. And of course, if you are going to implement your own crazy user tables, let Frank know how you did it. Did you use Dapper? Did you use Postgres? What did you use? Or did you just use what's already built in? So you just have a checkbox, and you're done. Right into the show, go to mergeconflict.fm <laughs> or tweet at us, mergeconflict.fm is the Twitter account, or at Proclarum, at James Montemagno. Hope you enjoyed this really silly and entertaining episode of Merge Conflict with some serious developer talk in it. That's what we bring each and every Monday. So until next time, this has been Merge Conflict, and I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>